Hello. Hello. Before we get started this week, we need to give out a badass lady meter rating to a new reviewer. Yay, 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 yay. I am probably going to mispronounce this. I did look up what it means, which we'll get into in the meter rating, but Limulus Polyphemus left us an amazing review. Thank you so much. Polyphemus. Polyphemus. He's the character in the Odyssey. Mm, is it spelled like Polyphemus? Oh, Cyclops. Oh, Squishy Odysseus. <laughs> That's what he sounds like. I think we read different Odysseys. <laughs> okay, so uh, quick sidebar. When I was in high school, we... Uh, for our Latin class, we sold chocolates, and instead of doing whatever we usually do, which is like, I have no idea of what the money usually went to. Well, but right. Why were you selling chocolates? I don't know. Everyone sold chocolates for like, their <laughs> language class. It was probably so we could like buy books what? or something because the languages were so underfunded yeah, as totally a department. The joys um, of Latin in a public high school. <laughs> um, and what year we blew our entire so pay your teacher's salary. <laughs> Sell those chocolates, kids. I don't know. Come on. But one year we spent it all. Mm. We raised a ton of money because we got Kinder chocolates because we stole the idea from the German department. <laughs> we blew it all on paying the airfare and price of this storyteller named Odds Bodkin. And we had him come in and we packed the auditorium because everyone was like, yeah, I'll do that. I get out of class. So like we got everybody to come do it, not just the Latin kids. <laughs> And this, he's, oh my God, Grace, he's incredible. He's this amazing storyteller. He just sat up there alone on stage in a spotlight and did like part of the Odyssey. And he did all the voices. All he had was his guitar and he had different themes for like the morning. And then he would like make bird whistles and wind sounds and be like, the sun came up over the mountains. But anyways, when he was doing Polyphemus, he like scrunched one of his eyes shut and opened the other really wide. <laughs> and he's ah Polyphemus. <laughs> that was what he sounded like. Okay, I'm so happy to know that's why you said it that way. <laughs> we have an extra thank you to this reviewer for bringing up that story and bringing Odds Bodkin into the, you know into our uh, late twenties. Thank you for your review. We're so happy that listening to the podcast makes you happy. And your rating is the quiet fortitude and grace of a horseshoe crab. If you leave us a review, you'll get a rating too. You don't have to be a lady. It's just the badass lady meter. We can't get away from that. Um, We really appreciate all that you guys have sent us. Tweets, emails, everything. We love hearing from you, and we always write back. It might take a little while, but we get to it, and we will get to your requests someday. It just we're, we have a like a kind of long production schedule, I guess you could call it. Um, so, yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Review us, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. And now the episode. Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. Rereading our favorite YA fantasy and discussing why it's just as good as, or maybe better for, adults. We're here. We're talking. We're booking. This week, 
we are covering The Two Princesses of Bamar by Gail Carson Levine. So our second book from second by Gail Carson Levine. Um, this is GCL lesser known than Ella Enchanted for sure. Um, it came out a bit later, it came out in 2001. This book came out when I was 13. I picked it up right away because I was a Gail Garson Levine fangirl. I was obsessed with and I'm her books. I'm so surprised that I never read this one because I read all of your Gail Garson Levine yeah. books. Like go in your room and take them off your bookshelf when you were at home. <laughs> or you just give them to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. You, you were, you were not possessive of your books. <laughs> Two Princesses of Bamar is another take on a classic fairy tale structure. Um, which Gail Carson Levine loves to do with her books. She has the series which, of the princess, princess t- t- tales, uh, t- 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 whatever they're <laughs> called, the short stories that were each explicitly a uh, twist on a different fairy tale. This book is similar to Ella Enchanted to a degree that I at first thought, wait, are these actually set in the same... Yeah, I reality. That. Yeah. Um, but El Enchanted magic works differently in El Enchanted. Um, there are fairies, but not sorcerers. I thought but the I, lack I, of sorcerers was pretty telling that it is indeed a different world. I thought um, maybe the same world, different part of the same world, and it's either way in the future or the past. Because hmm. they talk about in the Princesses of ben- Bamar how the fairies disappeared. Right. And yeah. like it's been a really long time yeah, since a child has had a fairy godmother. In the future, that's true. Um, but it's open to interpretation. Tell us your thoughts. This book reads like the um, Link failed timeline in the uh, chronology of the Zelda games. The Compendium <laughs> official chronology. Yeah, I was so excited are... to see the official chronology when it came out, and then I spent like an hour looking it at it, just being like, "This doesn't make any it's sense." It's horrible. It honestly, is yes. just. Just the creators trying to put things together in a way that makes retroactive sense when they clearly were not trying. But that's okay. We like Zelda games as they are. Not in a linear order. We love trying to puzzle these things out. And I'm fine with multiple potential timelines based on the outcomes of games, even though they all end with Link winning. So it doesn't really make sense. Well, unless you never beat them, I guess. Okay. This is turning into a very (laughs) rambly episode. (laughs) And we're really... Not that far into it. So I'm just going to start with the marketing breakdown and then we'll go from there. Um, I hate this cover. I hate the other covers for this book. That Hate. Not a word we use often. We love pretty much everything. (laughs) Um, But not only is the representation of the two sisters incorrect, um, This cover paints this book in a light that I think is so inconsistent with the actual content and basically promises a story that you're not going to get. I feel like it's trying to make it look very pretty and straightforward and um, very like an average basic, basic princess story. Um, Basic. I really like your new little hiss, hiss uh, <laughs> echo that you're giving me. Um, there is, in keeping with the Ellen Enchanted cover, they have the dark, somber, 
storybook tones that looks kind of like oh, a tapestry behind them. Yeah, and the rain is falling, and then the two princesses in the middle. But uh, first of all, okay, they do say that. So Addie says, I was dark complexion and my sister was fair, but she also explicitly says that they both have straight brown hair. Um, and this Meryl's <laughs> depiction, that is not someone who practices sword fighting, loves going out adventuring. It's like a porcelain doll with a perfect little gold band around her forehead. And I know that she's supposed to be suffering from the gray death in this picture because she's literally asleep, which is also strange. Um, they but also, they don't look like they're the same race. Like they no. don't look like they could be related that like full blooded yeah. sisters. Well, and I think it's just a misrepresentation that I, I feel like a lot of Gail Carson Levine's books um, have received like the newer cover, uh, the one that, is being sold now. Um, that edition has uh, like a it basically the, the the depiction looks like Frozen style animation, um, and uh, it's like one you know Meryl looks excited and brave, and Addie's like scared, um, and it, it's just it's even worse. Honestly, this at least is a painting that's like weird digital painted stuff that I'm not comfortable with. Um, if, if I had my way, all fantasy books would have like a John Howe style, like gorgeous art masterpiece on the cover <laughs> that is relevant to what's within it. Yeah. Maybe we should start our own publishing house and <laughs> that's the only, uh, their only rule. <laughs> if you'd like to back our exciting new venture, please reach out to us. The, what I'm getting at here in a very inarticulate way is I feel like sometimes people stay away from Gail Carson Levine's books because they look like they're going to be very girly um, or very simple, like stock fairy tale type stories. And I think that that's where this type of marketing is doing them a disservice in this type of art. Actually, with you saying that, I do kind of wonder if that's why I never read that one, because it just didn't look exciting from the cover. Yeah. I mean, I would have read this book no matter what it looked like, because you I had the, the author loyalty at yeah. that point. Mm -hmm. um, that's such a good book. Yeah, it is. I like it better than Ella Enchanted. I do, too. Yeah. I, and I like Ella Enchanted. I'll talk about this more yeah, shortly, but I was obsessed segment. with this book. So Madeline will now give us a taste of how the publisher intended us to get a taste of this book. <laughs> I got like three hours of <laughs> A kingdom beset by monsters, a disease that weakens and destroys, an epic poem and a hero of long ago, a story of danger and desperation. The two princesses of Bamar couldn't be more different. Princess Addie is fearful and shy. Her deepest wish is for safety. Princess Meryl is bold and brave. Her deepest wish is to save the kingdom of Bamar. They are sisters, and they mean the world to each other. Then, disaster strikes, and Addie, terrified and unprepared, sets out on a perilous quest. In her path are the monsters of Bamar, ogres, specters, griffins, and dragons. And spiders. Addie must battle them, but time is running out and the sisters' lives and Bamar's fate hang in the balance. Gail Carson Levine left her mark on fantasy with her well-loved 1998 Newbery Honor book, Ella Enchanted. Now she has created another shimmer Newberry. shimmering and tapestried landscape of fantasy and fairies. 
Bamar and the journeys of its two princesses will burn themselves into the minds of readers and all will relish this moving saga about two sisters groping their way towards heroism. This is such a dramatic blurb. It's really dramatic. Wow. I mean, it's, it is a dramatic book. It is. But I, do, I kind of love that the blurb is so like, <sighs> let's just yeah. go for broke. Yeah. Because yeah. a mean, lot of times I feel like the blurbs are so off and like yeah. undersell no, what's in the book. And this is a very swashbuckling story, which you don't get from the cover. Okay. So that pretty well described the bare bones of the plot. Um, I think all, all I'll say is... It's a story about a reluctant hero who is forced to adventure to save her sister from certain death because she gets really sick. She gets something called the Gray Death. Which and it's is, known to be fatal. Yeah, which is a fatal plague. They've never heard of any cases of someone recovering. Um, you go through a set period um, of weakness, then sleep, and then fever, and then you die. Um, and the reluctant hero in question is a... 16-year-old girl named Princess Addie. Her sister is Princess Meryl. Their father is a poltroon, <laughs> as described by the dragon Ballas, um, who is the ultimate coward, but it goes even beyond that. He's I think there might be something dumb. wrong with him. <laughs> like his, yeah. Uh, he consults a hilarious book of aphorisms called The Book of Homely Truths um, that is just a collection of statements that are just defining themselves. Like when you first... It's, it's Pratchett-esque. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> really, really funny satire. Yeah. Um, when you first start hearing Homely Truths, you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's something. Like some and kind of text. Once the dragon Ballas is um, making up her own and laughing about them, she says, the best part of these is that they almost mean something. And I was like, that's exactly it. <laughs> It's really great. There's yeah. no significance <laughs> any of the quote unquote wisdom contained, but that's how the king chooses to rule his kingdom. So I think as a result of that, paired with some other issues in Bomar's history, the kingdom has been pretty much overrun by monsters and human populations live in small pockets behind big stone walls and basically just keep to themselves and try to survive. It's a little like um, in McCaffrey. Yeah, it yeah. is Dragon Song esque. Mm-hmm. Um, esque is the word of the day, and it's not even a word. <laughs> Speaking of which, small a sidebar. hyphenated suffix of the day. <laughs> you know, that's a very popular joke. Everyone has one. You gotta have the hyphenated suffix of the day. Um, that's what they had on Pee Wee's Playhouse, right? I don't know if you're kidding or not. It seems like they had word of the day. I'm just joking. I know, but it seems like he would. Oh, today we've got a hyphenated suffix of the day. (laughs) It's my Pee Wee voice doing a lot of great impressions today. Let's. And Madeline's holding a tiny (laughs) tigger, so we know that things are about to get really wacky. He's our very special guest today. Um. So that that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the rundown of Bamar. That's what you need to know. In the end, Addie does break the curse that is the great death. They don't really realize that it is a curse, but it well, is. Well, Wallace tells her, then she knows. Right, right. But I mean, up front when she goes out to look for the cure, quote right, unquote. Right, think it's just. There like has been a prophecy sickness. that the great death will be cured when cowards find courage and rain falls all over Bamar. Um, which does 
happen in the final moments of Meryl's life. But she's too close to death, so fairies make her into a fairy. The ending gets a little bit deus ex machina-esque, um, but the story that leads up to it is excellent. So what I will say... Esque. <laughs> You said it again. I just realized. <laughs> it was delayed. When I was a teenager and this book came out, I was so excited. I was obsessed with it. I've probably read it realistically like 50 plus times. What confuses me is how I had completely forgotten about it. Um, I actually didn't even think of it to cover until I saw it online when I was doing Ella Enchanted research. And I was like, what the heck? That book was a huge part of my life. But I guess it was forgettable. Um, no, I mean, that, I'm, and I'm that not, happens that's, to me with books a lot. Well, and I'm not saying that means that the book is lower quality or anything like that. Just for whatever reason, this one didn't stay with me. Um Although rereading it, I instantly remembered right. all my favorite yeah. moments and like thought about the ways that it has impacted me. Okay, you I think my about notes. I actually wrote down. It's under the red box. It's under the red box. Madeline took notes on a mini legal pad. <laughs> <laughs> a mini yellow legal pad. It's mostly pictures, so it's not going <laughs> to translate. Great. Well, okay. I think it's really funny that you removed to doodle because there's a ton of do princesses of Amar fan art. Um, it's I, just really, like, it was it, hard not to find it. Like I wasn't even specifically looking yeah. for it. And then I was like, Oh, Hey. And, uh, people making their own little like videos about it. I saw a school project that is a movie trailer, like a pretend movie trailer for it, which they hilariously in the description say, no, this isn't a real movie trailer. It's just a project, even though it's so obviously made by like four eighth graders. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way anyone would ever mistake it. Um, yeah, so tons of cute stuff out there. We will put some of our favorites up on our website with the episode dragonbabiespodcast.com. Uh, what was the note that you wanted to mention? Or do you just want to have it in hand? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I <laughs> guess I just wanted to look at it. Okay, so young teen versus adult perceptions. Um, <clears throat> I realized that I have been thinking about the scene where the magic tablecloth kills the griffins for the first time for many years i love that so much i think it's really like gross and yeah, i love funny. how like gross and um, realistic this book is yeah it actually is pretty disgusting yeah. in, in a lot of different times and at the beginning addy mentions that her graphic embroidery scenes sometimes like concerned her sister yeah. but uh <clears throat> she she says that you know she doesn't fear uh woven blood it brings mm -hmm. her only pleasure um i pleasure-esque oh my god <laughs> and there's other scenes that i visuals that have really stayed with me i love this dragon representation and i love this kind of dragon um basically a i mean i would say i drew a picture of the dragon eye and then i wrote i of the chaotic evil sociopathic dragon entertain me <laughs> I would almost call Volus chaotic neutral. But 
but she kills so she kills everyone that she brings into her house. That's why I didn't call her chaotic neutral because yeah, but she's she she's, she mourns them and she but she kills them yeah, but she um she it brings her no pleasure. Grace is the end of this dragon. I am not. I would got mm, really angry at this her. dragon. I think she's amazing. And I it ha- there's a great line when Addie's trying to convince her to tell her about the cure for the Black Death. Um, and she says, won't my death be all the sweeter because I have this knowledge to save my sister, but I can't share it with anyone? And Volus says, "You that's showing that you completely misunderstand me. Your death will only bring me pain, and I will immediately miss you. Um, like, it's a really interesting dynamic, and I like the way that she gives out treasures and then withdraws them when she becomes irritated in the days that she is just like oh i have no patience for humans she takes you know 20 treasures away um i mean it is a really cool and interesting concept i'm not doubting that and the fact that it gave me so much emotion definitely mm-hmm. shows how effective it was and it's so stressful because meryl's final hours are dripping away and Addie is trapped in a cave for like a week it just the the cave made me really upset because i just imagined this like confined space that was really really hot and that she couldn't escape and the dragon to me just read as like i do these terrible things and feel bad for me like i i just i really disliked her person i that's why i thought she was chaotic evil I just totally disagree with you, but that's why we've got this podcast, I guess, to argue about dragons. I love um, the softer moments that she shows, like when she sees Addie's sketch of the embroidery of her that she proposes to do, and she says, you draw me so sweetly with a friend's eye, Um, but then also asks for one where she's in battle and like killing everyone, Um, and isn't it fascinating to get a glimpse into the dragon's version of Druault? The we didn't mention this, but there's an epic poem that of a figure that it. I at first I was like, oh, it's Beowulf, but he's actually more like Christ or like the Buddha. Like Druault is their religion, yeah, um, and kind of the framing device for all the important things that happen in their lives and when they need some kind of um, fortification emotionally they turn to draw when they're celebrating they turn to draw they read a passage from draw during a, the wedding ceremony especially because the fairies are like demigods and he mm-hmm. becomes a fairy yes yeah he like ascends well yeah i think the fairies are the closest thing they have to gods yeah especially um, since they're so like they really don't interfere very much and what they what Meryl's talking about at the end with the way that they um control cosmic forces basically and enter into massive universe spanning battles um reminded me a lot of the greek gods and versus the titans um and uh yeah so I, I would just straight up call them gods. Um, but at one point, Volus um, recites a passage from the dragon's epic poem. And we also hear some from the elves' epic poem. Um, and I really liked getting those different glimpses into um, the different magical races, basically. Um, and also seeing, okay, yeah, maybe for you guys it's all about draw, but like, 
we don't all care about him and we have our own heroes and we have our own history. And I understand why there's natural conflict between dragons Mm -hmm. and humans because dragons want to eat the humans, animals. Yeah. But I just think there's, there should be work put into some kind of truce where the dragons get to eat animals and don't carry off and torture humans. Well, like truces, the humans aren't torturing dragons. Yeah. I mean, truces are what Drill is suggesting at the end of the book for how Addie can try to improve yeah, things. Right. Um, right. And uh, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's what from, from the feel throughout most of the book, um, especially when Addie's using her spyglass while she's trapped in the cave to look out over the land and see everything that's going on. It's just that humans, they have become really afraid and they have totally withdrawn. Um, but they, in the end, it's not just brute force that they need to use. They need to figure out some kind of um, yeah, strategy, peacekeeping approach, yeah. some mm-hmm. kind of have some kind of summit. Um, and for, you know, for the most part there, there can be a way for these different creatures to live in harmony um, but it feels like everything has just gone really wrong. Um, yeah, which was interesting. And I mean, again, Gail Carson Levine's world building is so excellent. Like she's this just is my really, favorite book of hers really I've ever talented. read. I really, really enjoyed it. I just thought it, it was so, I don't know, high fantasy in a really I know. Yeah. Like, accessible way. Exactly. Yeah. It's like high fantasy for a younger set. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely Tolkien-esque moments. Um, for sure. That like I appreciate. prose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the inclusion of Drell throughout giving them, you know, from the start, a really deep backstory and history. What? I realize I actually have a, a note that just says, it's my first note, it says, Riss, just Gandalfing around. Because <laughs> he's just coming and going randomly. Yeah, the thing about sorcerers that I don't totally get is they spend so much time just learning cloud magic. Um, well, but the, the point is, is that they learn really, really yeah, slowly. I know, they do. But the, but then so she was just in Riss's life at his cloud learning <laughs> his stage, cloud <laughs> and it. But it's just funny because we don't hear about the next step for them and like when they actually. Well, but go that's on to, that's because the only cause they're all, sorcerer she knows is Riss. Well, yeah, and then after they reach that point, after they finish their apprenticeship, they just go to their citadel right, and yeah. do whatever they do there for the rest mm-hmm. of their lives with yeah. their grumpy teacher Orn. Um, this anti marriage. I uh, I mean I have a note about Warren. Riss says he almost never almost smiles. I love that. I know it's a good line. <laughs> he almost never almost never smiles. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wait, and then I wrote spiders is mess you up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did want to. Okay, so I've we're we're like going off into other topics now, but your. A, you know, introduction to this book was this week. You hadn't read it when you were young. And I am interested to hear about how you, how Addie resonated with you, because I think the spider thing is... Yeah, I drew a like little angry picture Pathological of to the point of it seeming so ridiculous in the book. And Addie realizes how ridiculous it is, where at one point she is avoiding opening a chest that has a spider on it, even though a dragon is asleep behind mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Um, and is like, okay, this is, I have to overcome this. And she does. She kills the spider and overcomes it. 
I mean, I spent, it's, it wasn't just spiders when I was little. It was a lot of different insects. And I, like, I spent a summer barely leaving the house because yeah. I was so afraid of bees. And there was a bush that, it was a bee bush right outside the side door. Yeah. That it was always full of bees. Yeah, it um, was. And, uh, yeah, I just remember that feeling of I can't. I just can't. I can't deal with it. I wouldn't go in the basement because of spiders. Yeah. Just thinking about going into the back room was death. I would always get Patrick to go in there and get me wrapping paper because I was scared that there were spiders in the wrapping paper. The basement at the house in question was, it was a really old farmhouse. Yeah, and the basement like, was kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. It was like a connected group of passageways yeah (laughs) Yeah, it was a scary very very old like over 100 years old yeah very very scary and there were 100 year old spiders spiders that have been biding their time learning our secrets it's (laughs) true how to destroy us true story do you remember when we shared a room and i would check for spiders before we went to sleep at night i would look in the ceiling corners because i would think i would be really afraid that there would they would come crawling me while I sleep and for a long time I had trouble falling asleep because I kept thinking that as soon as I closed my eyes yeah. a giant spider was gonna like come Pop up especially like a black widow spider or like a really poisonous one have you ever seen a black widow at the zoo yeah <laughs> not in your bedroom <laughs> it is it is interesting because you have moved to a place with larger and more but they stay outside spiders. the big spiders they stay yeah. outside and don't tell me otherwise even if i'm wrong so just like end of that conversation the spiders never come to the house well madeline you put tea tree oil up around your room don't exactly you? so of course they don't come in the house <laughs> natural spider repellent because it clogs up their spider sinuses and they're like ah! <laughs> and then they run away that's exactly what happens spider sinuses <laughs> i've I don't think I'll ever hear that phrase again, but I'm into it. That's just one way that Addie and Meryl reminded me of you and me. Um, I don't spiders, think yeah. that like you're cowardly and I'm brave or anything like that. But when we were kids, that was usually the role. Like I yeah, would it not was a dynamic deal with stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was a dynamic we fell into. And when we would play games, um, you would tend to be the like pretty princess, and I would mm-hmm. be the um, like servant, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but yeah, I Patrick wouldn't. He wouldn't always like do what he was supposed no, to. He Patrick would usually just kind of bounce around. Yeah, like he would be a character, and then that character would lose their mind within like fifteen seconds. <laughs> starting the game, <laughs> it's actually <laughs> shocking how often that happened. Just run around, start screaming, scream, and now, and now I'm I'm evil. It's a surprise. I'm evil now. <laughs> Yeah, we had a recurring game that I don't think we've talked about on the podcast that we just called Detectives. Yeah. Um, And of the three of us, one would be in charge of coming up with the storyline. So they would be like the NPCs. Yeah, they would play every character. They would guide the other two through whatever the case was. Um, And depending on which one of us was the person in charge, basically the dungeon master, um, it would be a very, (laughs) very different experience. (laughs) Like Patrick, we love you, but he was, he was young. He was young. Yeah. It was just, it got pretty funny. A lot of Pokemon themed. Yeah. It's just like suddenly happening and 
A lot of running around, disjointed stories. I, it, it is funny to think about neighbors that might have seen us just like running down the street um, yelling nonsense. Uh, yeah, they did give us a wide berth. <laughs> or us like standing on the side of the road coming up with like, why is everyone slowing down when they go by our house? What's going on? It's like, well, they're trying not to run us over. children standing in the road that's why <laughs> yeah or we would have a game where we would like flail around in the front yard and then we'd have to freeze whenever someone came oh, by so yeah. we were basically <laughs> trying to freak people out and then getting mad when they were freaked out by us <laughs> lots of fun anyway um yeah i think that's one reason why I love this book so much is the sister and like sibling dynamic reminds me of ours. Um, and just like you only have each other. And obviously we weren't Royals growing up kind of basically sequestered away in a castle, but we were pretty okay with just like having each Doing other thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we were not, um, hip to outsiders, uh, or very good with outsiders. strangers. <laughs> no, I was not. Peers. Um, Yeah pretty much any any other children or adults um so I liked that and I really appreciate that we get some time of just them living their lives before we get to the plot it's nice into gear um and that also helps with the romantic realism I think to dive right into that section for sure yeah um it is a very courtly love um it's between Riss and Addie, the main character, um, the sorcerer and the princess. Which makes sense for their setting. Totally, yeah. And it's it develops very slowly through a series of small gestures and gifts and things like that. Yeah, it's really cute. Um, yeah, and it's nice. And he's giving her... Um, I feel like he gives her her first foray into the outside world by telling her these stories about places he's been and mm. things he's seen. Um, and he so that she, be brave. Yeah, so that she can start to kind of tiptoe into the idea of having a life outside of the castle and of not being protected at all times. Um, and, I mean, Riss himself is really interesting because... In this book, sorcerers are a race, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and they have white eyelashes and, and dark, tall, flowy hair, dark, wavy hair, and yeah. I imagined him as being like a fa- Final Fantasy type. Totally. <laughs> I wrote Riss equals Bishonen Japanese sorcerer boy. I'm pretty and magical, and I like you. <laughs> it's a little picture too. Yeah, and there is a lot of Riss fan art of him. Yeah. Understand looking very pretty, um, with his fluffy white eyelashes, and he does cute cloud magic. Just every cloud moment makes me so happy, and I love at the ending when they have so little time left, and they arrive at the village where they need to get directions to make it to the waterfall that will hopefully cure Meryl of the Grey Death. And the sentry opens the door and is like, "A maiden in a cloud." (laughs) Meryl has a cloud blanket around. (laughs) It's really cute. Um, just that escalating moment when he's like, a sorcerer, a maiden in a cloud, a princess. <laughs> They're like, we need to get to the waterfall. Come on. Yeah, the ending is tense. Yeah, really is very good stressful. tension. Yeah. Really effective. Um, and I like that you do get to see Meryl battling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before she's ready she to. Dies. 
Yeah. I mean, even though she becomes a very she she does die. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't like the ending of this book. Um, mm-hmm. Just like the little bit of research I was doing, I saw a lot of people that were like, "Oh, it's so um, unsatisfying." Oh, I thought it was refreshing that it wasn't. I like it. Yeah, because it would have been like really predictable if yeah. Meryl just got saved and they all went home and happily ever after. Totally, and yeah. it's also very I Tolkien-esque. It. it reminds me of yeah. the ending of Return of the King for sure um, before the partings. Okay, so the main romantic relationship gets a, a pass from us. I do wish they didn't get married immediately and like that be the bulk of the ending. Um, Meryl did make her promise to Addie that she wouldn't go off on her adventures until Addie was wed, and I think it's sweet that she held true to that. Um, there is, you know, the teenage bride component, but that's you're going to find that in pretty much any fairy tale um, that's being retold in a, a realistic and 16, way. And 1617 is like for medieval times. It's actually kind of old. Yeah. <laughs> getting married. Yeah, I know. And um, there is quite an age gap between Riss and Adam. But they but, do say that yeah. sorcerers like, yeah, age and learn really slowly. Right. So he's and they're, basically But they're 17. born as adults. So like it's hard to even understand what it really is. So I guess they're means. just like baby adults like he's wandering just around like, just being like, gaga. Yeah. <laughs> he's much more comfortable with his body, I'm sure, by that point than, than, than like a, a human. No, because you've had the whole same body your whole life. Like <gasps> think about how amazing that would be That's to not so have to go through puberty. Um, not have all the awkward, uncomfortable parts. Yeah, so I, I did. I also like Riss as a suitor because he's not your typical fairy tale dude. Right, he exactly. Is, um, he's also very flamboyant. He's very flamboyant. Um, he's very, uh, uh, I feel like he is very like graceful and um, yeah, very, very pretty, definitely. Genteel and then also like kind of weird and spacey yeah he is a weird dude Uh um which i really like and uh yeah i was into that it's very eerie having the specter we haven't talked about specters um but specters are i thought the well the the only monster that was invented for this book rather than ogres and dragons um, and griffins which are very Mm well-known mythological creatures classic fantasy Um, and then specters were yeah kind of unique to this yeah and then specters can take human form and even uh, become solid like they can have a body um and they try to trick you into getting lost in the woods basically um i'm not sure what their motivation is because they don't like feed on humans as far as i can tell they just delight they're just they're just bad evil yeah (laughs) and the specter impersonates risk during eddie's journey and tries to send her into a disgusting cave where she for sure would have gotten lost and died um but the specter like moves their relationship along which is really creepy like the specter shows a lot of overly familiar moments and then it's like oh i'm I'm sorry, I'd keep calling you Addie because in my thoughts you are always just Addie, simply Addie, and then Addie like clings to <laughs> Well, I think it's because... But then it's it's re- mirrored by Riss that when he does come in right. and interrupt them and mm-hmm. be like, that's a specter, I'm real, look, I can make a footprint. Because <laughs> as far as I could tell, the specters just use their intended victim's thoughts to make the person so of course it would make if it wants to appeal to her it would make a version of race that you know and she's thinking of him in a romantic way Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. which was uh it was all very interesting i liked the specters um 
the little the like cute little boy at the beginning is really funny um especially as Meryl's like hitting him with rocks and gashing his face and now he's like what are you doing yeah (laughs) leave that boy alone um but the romantic pairing I did have a problem with is Meryl and Dralt I have no idea why they're together yeah it's also been like I mean in now, in now talk about an age gap. <laughs> oh, God. It's been an indeterminate amount of time that Addie's been convalescing in, in on the fairy mountain. Um, but when she wakes up, Meryl and Drewald are like... In love. An item. Calling yeah. each other pet names. Yeah. Yeah. It's really strange. And and I understand the book was almost over. And in order to have that happen, they had to rush yeah. it along. But and things might work differently for fairies. I don't know. But True, yeah. I feel like... That is a very vulnerable time in Meryl's existence. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's not alive anymore, but she is a spirit. She is existing in some way. Um, And uh, it's odd that Drew would be like, yeah, I want to get in there with that 16-year-old new fairy. Um, (laughs) What? I thought she's a little older than Addie. Oh, one year. 17. Yeah, they're one year apart. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's just... I wasn't. I wasn't down with that. It yeah, makes, no, that it makes sense. Weird. They both love adventuring, but also it maybe you know she's Meryl's like a dead ghost god now. I know. Yeah, and she can do what she wants. Yeah, I guess. it just it smacked a little of that. Like everyone has to be paired off. Like yeah. put all the women in relationships. No, for sure. Um, but uh, at the same time, Addie's clearly headed back to rule the kingdom, and I I hope that there's some kind of non-violent coup and she kicks her dad out because or maybe he'll just wander off i know he might just like <laughs> get with his book lost in a room somewhere <laughs> yeah just reading the homely truths to himself yeah um because no one's ruling the kingdom and it's time it's time for a change that brings me to pretend food pretend food it's half a pretend food <laughs> what <laughs> i don't know it's half a pretend food yeah 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 <laughs> Madeline's just going into a trance. (laughs) (laughs) It's the pretend food that did it. Um, So this book has less explicit pretend food than Ella Enchanted. I mean, less specific, I should say. There's so much food in this book, though. There's a lot of food. There's a high volume of food. But but we don't get a lot of details about the food. I'm a stickler for this. (laughs) You know me. And I actually... While we'll talk about the pretend tablecloth in a moment. Um, no, I just really want a butter pie. <laughs> oh, my God. We, Tiana Wynne-Jones has ruined us. If you Ruin haven't listened us. to our Tale Ruin of Time us. City episode, check the it out. The ice cream I've been buying lately has all been, like, caramel flavored and has, like, yeah. you know, I'm looking for the right. We need to, like, talk to Ben and Jerry and see if they can make a butterfly pie flavor because they could actually do it. Like, yeah, they wouldn't yeah. be able to have the warm aspect. But what if they had, like, yeah. runny caramel in, mm-hmm. like, little cream uh, candy pieces mm-hmm. in uh, some creamy uh, ice cream? There, um, there is a Ben and Jerry's flavor that's kind of similar to that. Uh, the caramel core. Yeah. With blondie cookies yeah, in it. Yeah. It is a good flavor, but <laughs> it's not, I don't think it's quite there. Okay, I'm glad you knew the name immediately. <laughs> <laughs> You're not talking to an amateur here, okay? I spend maybe an hour and a half per week in the ice cream aisle, just like literally. I like going to the grocery store late at night, so I could like take out 
pints and look at them and then put them back in. I also really like hearing you say the ice cream I've been buying lately because, like, clearly <laughs> ice cream has to be an item on the grocery list. Sometimes people, like, usually... We usually don't have ice cream in our apartment. Okay, well, that's not the case with me. And usually people, I used like... To be, I used to be like you. Older men will come by and be like, it's hard to pick, huh? And I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, that happens. Really? Like a grocery store friendly face? Yeah. Just a stranger? Yeah, just like, always a stranger. That's really cute. Because I've like so intensely. Is that that safe way? They have by far the best selection of any of our uh, grocery stores for ice cream. Yeah. Have you been to the Safeway on 23rd or Madison? Yeah, because it's closer to Nick's house. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. They have it. They have good stuff. Yeah. Okay. We're getting a little too specific um, for anyone. Cut a little bit out of that. People will be able to triangulate our location. Oh, they don't. (laughs) <laughs> Grace is not intimidated by our listeners, which I guess is a good I'm thing. I'm not. Everyone I've spoken with is very friendly. It's been delightful. Hey, yeah. guys. Um, okay, so my favorite pretend food in the book was actually something that is just spoken of that no one consumes. But when Riss is talking about the uses for a dragon scale, he says that it can be boiled oh. in a pot of water to make a fiery, slightly bitter broth. Yeah. And I was like, oh. It sounds great. Yeah. I would use that in so many different things. You're right. That sounds amazing. Um, and it's at the beginning of the book. So, you know, I was excited. I was like, oh, dragon broth. And then, it, yeah, there wasn't really any of any more of that. But yeah. the pretend table or the tablecloth is really interesting because it basically creates a sort of pretend food turducken. Like there's pretend food inside the pretend book. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> No, (laughs) no, I don't. Because it's pretend food inside a fantasy novel. It's pretend to them. You know, it's it's not. It's it's real. Yeah, but But she eats it. I know, but it's not. She eats it with her body. It's not pretend. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just how it felt. Grace is right. I'm just being a a poobah. And I love when Addie says, where does it come from? Are there just tiny roasts floating through the air and we can't see them? It's so cute. And Riss is like, huh. Maybe. <laughs> Who would know? <laughs> yeah, the tablecloth really likes roasts. The two of them have. Yeah. They're really cute. No, they're really cute. Um, yeah, tablecloth loves meat. And mm-hmm. I also, it, it does play into the desires of its diners. Yeah, yeah. Um, we know that. Because it gives so, Addie, Addie gets, what like, she wants. Soup and um, more delicate things. Uh, whereas the Griffins get uh, just tons of bloody junk. Meat. <laughs> Um, that they can gorge themselves to death on. Uh, yeah, I, I like everything about the tablecloth. I love that it's embroidered with a wondrous feast and then it comes to life once you say the appropriate words. I love Volus getting angry because she can't remember the words yeah. quite correctly and destroying her home out yep. of fury. Um, and uh, it is the pretend tablecloth that hastens the end of that piece of the narrative because it convinces Wallace that she needs to go hunt and allows Addie to escape and stab a dragon in the process. Um, So 
outside of pretend tablecloth and the dragon broth, we have like gross, suspicious, maybe human meat that's being kept in Volus's. Um, oh, what about the moilies? Oh, moily herb. Moily herb. Yeah. Moily herb is really cool. Yeah. I mean, more of a medicine than a food, but you do but you eat, eat it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you make tea. The moily tea. Yeah. That, that falls yeah. into the category. Um, but she doesn't make tea ever. She always no, just eats No, because she's roughing it. Yeah. She doesn't have time to make tea. Um, but the descriptions of pain in this book, especially from the dragon burn, um, reminded me a lot of, uh, hero in the crown. Yes. Totally. Um, and were realistic to the point that I was like, ah, my leg. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> um, the blistering and like the inability to stop focusing on the discomfort. Um, and the moily herb helped alleviate that. So, and I okay. picture it as just being like a little a cute like a little flower flower. like maybe a little cactus flower bud and then it like opens up once you oh yeah once you apply it yeah uh wound Um, like little like (laughs) it makes that sound (laughs) it's really cute actually (laughs) i'm picturing a little sparkling of like pixie dust yeah yeah um okay beltery podcast um beltery and the moily herb smells like mint and lavender. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it sounds so pleasant. And that would be really herb. comforting to have with you on that quest. Mm-hmm. It's a lot nicer than the seven week boots, that's for sure. Because <laughs> those boots. things just beat you up. Yeah. And um, it's also upsetting when Addie horribly dislocates her shoulder yeah. uh, at the very beginning of her quest because no girl grabs onto it. And the yeah. boots will not stop. That's the other weird thing about du- Duarte. Druald? Druald. <laughs> is that. Duarte is Druald's brother. <laughs> is that. No, there's a Bruce in there too, which I thought was King really Bruce. funny. Yeah. He's the king that Volus loved. Yeah. No, that was Willard or Willem. Mm. Wilton. Okay, I'm sorry. You're right. Bruce was uh, just a ruler. Williamette. A previous ruler. The Willamette Valley. <laughs> it's Willamette. <laughs> It's one of the pronunciations you have to fix when you move from the Chicago there area everyone makes to fun Seattle. of you. Because yeah. it is Willamette in Illinois, okay? Go ahead. You've forgotten. I have no idea what I was going to say. King Bruce. Um, oh, that was the other thing, the weird thing about Durkin. Durkin. Druwalt. Druwalt. Is that he was hanging out with the other sister the whole time. And then he, uh, the, uh, she wakes up and <laughs> with Addie. And, and Meryl, okay. <laughs> yeah, Druwalt was a spirit <laughs> helping Addie on her journey. <laughs> Let's try to include names so that this doesn't just become a total nightmare to listen to. <laughs> um, Druwalt was helping Addie and just yeah. hanging out with her. And being like this presence, her mm-hmm. whole journey. And then Addie wakes up and it's okay because she didn't want to be with Gerald anyways. But then it's really weird that he just switched to the other's mm, sister. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, I don't I know. Agree. Maybe he was hanging out with everyone, but I just. Gerald is everywhere. <laughs> being romantic with scary. all the princesses. <laughs> um, yeah. And Gerald is the other, you know cute man of the book although he's more traditionally uh beefy and masculine and i just i didn't go out of my way to do this but my boyfriend just made me watch shrek 2 
like the night before I read this book, so I couldn't imagine Geralt as looking any other way but the way that Shrek looks when he gets turned into a what? human. What? Yeah, because he looks like a you know hero or whatever. I don't even remember what. I Shrek didn't remember looks it either. Like when he's and turned into and a then human. he get turned into a human. Nick, please stop making Madeline watch Shrek. <laughs> it's ruining my life. Please. I drew a picture of Shrek and Danky on my on my notes sheet. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess that does it for pretend food. I got a little sloppy, but here we are. Shrek. I would have liked some fairy food at the end. Yeah, but I also kind of get the feeling they, that fairies don't yeah, eat. But they have to give something to Addie, right? Yeah, but they probably just gave her like some uh, mm-hmm. Alana style rolls and, and butter. She just like stuffed down and run out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so that brings us to our final segment, which is badass lady meter, badass, badass Tigger meter. meter. We've got Tigger here. He's ready. Tigger is dancing. I like how many strong female characters there are in this book. Um, even Druault's epic has Freya, his sweetheart, who mm-hmm. battles alongside him yeah. and dies fighting 12 griffins mm-hmm. by herself, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Um, Addie is a great character. Um, she's super appealing. I can see her being a great role model for young girls reading this who might feel like I'm scared of what's out there and I don't know what to expect. But if I know myself, I can succeed. And she undergoes so much growth in the book. There's a line at the very beginning when she says she's not afraid of the great death and says, I knew my interior, so I would... I'm confident that I would be able to find it and defeat it. Um, And while that's not a responsible way to approach illness, um, you know, it's like some homeopathic kind of scariness. Uh, But there's magic in this book. Yeah, there is. And, and I, she, she stays, um, you know, true to herself and, and if not confident in herself, she is aware of who she is and, you know, there are shortcomings that come along with that of her being like, no, I, I know that I'm, I'm afraid of this. Um, as opposed to someone who might be a little more, um, bold and spontaneous, like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, we'll see what happens. She's like, no, I know what will happen. Mm-hmm. I know how, how, how I will react. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of value in that. And I also really liked, um, the very ending, um, and Addie says, I finally saw the real difference between Meryl and me, truer than the difference between cowardly and brave. She wanted to battle monsters for the adventure of it. I wanted to defeat them for the peace that would follow. Yeah. Which is so important. And that's mm-hmm. the attitude that a ruler should yeah. have. Yeah. Um, whether it be a president or a queen or a king. Anyone. And it's and it definitely just shows that Addie's the one who should be the ruler and yeah. Meryl is more of like a knight's champion or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's true. Meryl does enjoy the swashbuckling good time of an adventure. Um and it's it's important, I think, to have someone in power who isn't caught up in that kind of thing and just the glory of battle. It reminds me of the one of the main characters in the Black Cauldron, the knight who dies in the middle of the book and says, you know, battling isn't about like the glory it's about finding a a place for your family to be safe and for you to build a life and like it's not something that you should honestly 
look forward to. It's grim. You kill people and creatures, and you're basically just trying to get through those periods as quickly and honorably as possible. Um, yeah, so I'm down for some uh, discussion of violence as, you know, ne- maybe necessary at times, but let's try to find a way. And should never be it. relished. Yeah, and at the end of the book, when they're talking about a way to move forward, they're, like I said, they're discussing treaties, and um, for the specters, just trying to, like, crowd them out, basically. Um Finding ways to gain peace in Bamar. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing I wanted to mention in the Badass Lady Meter section is that Gail Carson Levine originally intended for this to be a retelling of 12 Dancing Princesses, the Grimm story. I think it's Grimm, yeah. Um, which is a story about 12 princesses who every night do something mysterious. No one knows what, but in the morning they have these worn through dance shoes. Um, and their father, the King tells princes of the land or men of the land, whatever, um, that if one of them can figure out where they're going and what they're doing each night, he can pick one of them to have as his bride. And it turns out that they're going to this secret, underground ballroom where they meet 12 beautiful princes and they just dance together all night. Um, when do they sleep? They don't. They're tired all the time. They're not growing. <laughs> they're not developing. Just, just like Scheherazade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I love the, I love everything about the story except the conclusion because I love that these princesses are like, no, we're not going to like marry some dude like we want to dance we have our princes we're gonna go hang out with them in this fantasy world um so they trick each man who tries to stay up and watch me tonight by giving him um drugged wine and uh one you know like throws the wine over his shoulder while he's like oh so good um and uh follows them as they go underground there's like a passageway under their room that goes to this magical dance world where all they do is dance the night away with beautiful princes they row in little boats it's very glamorous wait what Um, they row in (laughs) they meet the princes on a shore and then they take these little golden boats to their like magical dance floor it's it's very nice sounds like fun um but he follows them he breaks off like pieces of the golden trees to show to the king and then the king's like, okay, which one do you want? He's like, I choose the eldest because I'm an old man. He is an old man. That's the other part of the story. <laughs> so her- typically horrific and um, woman uh, dismissing yeah, ending. No. <laughs> um, but I do feel that some of the sentiment of like these princesses can do what they want to do and they're going to like go off and get to it and help each other. And their father isn't even really like, he's not an impediment to their adventuring because he's just kind of like, (laughs) (laughs) so useless. Um, His daughter is about to die and he says, okay, well I'll follow you to the waterfall with an army in like a week. Yeah. I have to go think about it. It's like, okay, well she'll be dead at dawn. So thanks. Um, and Riss invents details that, like, the king told him to come update Addy, even though he didn't, because he doesn't care about his children. Pretty bad. Bad dad. Uh, level, it, it's like Alana and Tom's dad's yes, levels that's what it reminded of, me of neglect. Um, 
and yeah, just total disregard for for their offspring. Anyway, all of this is to say, uh, Gail Garson Levine did did say that she realized that Twelve Dancing Princesses was just too many characters, especially with the princes. Then you have twenty four characters, yeah. so she decided to go a different way, and I'm really happy that she did. Um, and I think that's why we have like snatches of classic fairy tale tropes and structures within mm. this book, but then there's still really fun original characters and a kingdom that feels fully realized and not like it's just grabbing bits and pieces from other stories. Mm. So I give Addie the rating of all 24 little dancers and no old men for them to marry. I give her the rating of a never-ending tablecloth's worth of true courage. Ooh, a courage tablecloth. What does it look like when it forms? It looks like spiders. (laughs) It looks like spiders. Because you have to be courageous to use a tablecloth that looks like spiders. (laughs) And she is courageous. She is. She really is. It just looks like a carpet of spider bodies. Oh, God. I think that uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Now that we've given you that visual, um, sorry this episode was so ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, thanks for joining us um, on this journey. We love the two princesses of Bamar. As a final thought, um, if you want to try out some other Gail Carson Levine books, uh, we already recommended The Princess Tales in our All Enchanted episode, but if you're looking for some historical nonfiction, uh, she has an amazing book called David Knight that is a young adult book about a little boy who is... Um, you said historical nonfiction? Did you mean historical uh, fiction? I meant historical fiction. It's based on her dad's life, but oh, okay. it is fiction. You're right. I'm sorry. That was a mistake. Um, about a little boy growing up in an orphanage in... New York during the Harlem Renaissance and he sneaks out at night and goes and listens to incredible music and meets um, like the black community mm-hmm. and starts learning about different types of people in Harlem where he's growing up and um, it's a really good book yeah cool. it's great highly recommended yeah. Um, yeah. I thank you for listening Let us know what you thought. And if we were just like so annoying this episode that you'll never listen again, please say goodbye so that we can know. Okay. I think what Grace is trying to express is thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Skidoos. As always, you can get in touch with us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com, on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. If you have any book recommendations or any thoughts, um, <laughs> let us know. Tigger's waving goodbye. You can't see it, sadly. It's visual humor. Great for a podcast. <laughs> but, you know, he's here, and, and I'm sure you've heard his presence. <laughs> I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Bye-bye.